Nilfane loosed his last arrow, catching the solitude guard in the neck and dropping him to the narrow stairs less than a blade's length from where Nilfane stood. The guard behind the man stumbled on the body of his fallen companion, buying Nilfane the time he needed to draw his swords. Blades whirling, Nilfane spun on his heels, intercepting the agents attacking from behind. The Dark Elf loathed the violence, the blood, the chaos, but he made quick work of the agents. Soon the corridor was humid and heavy with the stench of dead and dying men, but he could not stop here. He could not relent. The assassination had failed, but Nilfane Nilzaril would not. Welcome to episode two of the Pretenders Guild. Uh, we are an Elder Scrolls role-playing podcast. My name is Dylan. And I'm Chris. You can find us on Twitter at Pretenders Guild, right? There's no the. No, there's no the. That's I, on the email. There's only 140 characters available to you. I took out the three that we didn't need. That's considerate. Yeah. You're welcome, everybody. So our last episode was more of like a pilot test yeah. episode. Um, you can find that on our Twitter. You can find pretty much uh, all of our stuff at our Fireside yeah, uh, FM. Yeah, um, we'll link it in the show notes. Oh, show notes! Yeah, we're it's so notes. nice to have show notes. <laughs> we don't have show notes on our other podcast, but we actually reference having show notes all the time. Yeah, that's true. So now it's it's got some some realness to it. Uh, if you listen to the first episode, which I would assume you would do that, uh, to if this this won't make a whole lot of sense, eh, it might work. It'll work. If you listen to that and you heard me say something about how our audio would be better this episode, um, yeah, I mean you didn't hear incorrectly. But yeah, your here, ears work. Here's the thing. Uh, we didn't figure it out just yet, but we will. It's not, it's, we've done this before, but we're, um, we're acting like a couple of, um, uh, swits right now. Yeah. That's a, that's an in-joke. Fruity for Loops isn't cooperating. Uh, I, I think it disapproves. I think Fruity Loops is like, why are you talking nerd shit, dog? Make some beats. And I'm like, listen, I, I want to talk nerd shit. It's October. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's what I do in October. <laughs> of course. But, um, we'll figure it out. So... Uh, I think with with that, should we recap last episode? Yeah, how about if you're going to do your character first, recap your, uh, your dude and then okay. briefly, and then we'll jump into the meat, and then I'll do the same when I start. Okay, um, so this is what we're calling the Ebonheart arc. Uh, the Ebonheart Pact is something from Elder Scrolls lore for uh, anybody who's uh, big into that. It's essentially, it was um, an alliance between Argonians and Dunmer, um, and there's a lot of other stuff going on with it, uh, but I'm playing as a Dunmer, and, and Dylan is playing it as a... Uh, an Argonian, so that kind of, you know, kind of just makes sense. All right, anyway, last time. I introduced my character. His name is Nilfane Nilzaril. He's a Dunmer, a dark elf, and he is a cold-hearted assassin. I described him as being kind of like a ghost. He's very ambivalent about death. It doesn't feel violent to him. That was kind of my key concept, mm -hmm. was that uh, killing is not violent, fighting is violent. And I know that seems a little bit arbitrary, but he's an assassin, and he believes that if he, if he kills his target without them having to put up a fight or having to engage in any sort of combat, then it's not violent. It's just death. Death happens to everybody. Violence doesn't happen to everybody, but death absolutely happens to of everybody. Course, right. That's kind of his, his guiding credo, is that everybody's going to die, uh, and it's fine. So we last time introduced how they came to Skyrim through the intro to the game, and then I talked about how he joined the, the Dark Brotherhood and eventually the Thieves Guild, but we kind of just brushed over that and more talked about the characters themselves. So now I'm going to get into the story proper.
After joining the Dark Brotherhood, Nilfane, he pretty quickly just starts completing like contract after contract after contract because he's you know, a go-getter. Because he's a go-getter, and I was on vacation, so I was playing a lot of Skyrim. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but he, he's not. He wasn't afraid to to just get it right in there and start killing. Um, which again, it, it wasn't an issue for him. It was just this is just a job. This is something that I can do. So he starts completing kills and contracts, and he's climbing the ranks in the Dark Brotherhood faster than anybody had really expected. He's incredibly proficient at killing. Again, it's not something he, he takes any joy in. He's not out for bloodlust or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's just really proficient at doing it, and he doesn't have any issues with it. Part of his, his thing is that every time he, he would leave the Dark Brotherhood Sanctuary near Falkreath, the first thing he would do was just look for a horse. He's really good at tracking. Uh, he spent most of his life tracking down animals for hunting. Uh, so he just steals horses. That's became my thing. I never bought a horse. I, I mean, you, you have options, and I started to make money to buy horses, but I didn't. I just would just steal horses. Them. I just lifted them, either from, like, I remember stealing a horse from the Windhelm stables just by, like, going behind everybody and just totally, like, shitting my way into it. It's just, so easy. Just gaming very, the game. You can cheese your way into a free horse. Sometimes the only things that even look at you when you're doing that are other horses. Yeah. So, like, you're, the eye <laughs> reticle will be showing, yeah. like, you're like you're not stealth, but it's really just the horse. But I liked the idea of Nilfane sort of just, like... He's stealing these horses because it's almost like the horse is just trotting off. I had the idea of him being like a ghost. He's not like a spooky ghost. Not to be confused with Halloween time. Oh, right. He's just so not there. He has a presence about him that is not a presence. That's not the best way to describe that. But when he's in a room, if he doesn't want to be in that room or doesn't want you to know that he's in that room, he can kind of turn off his energy. Yeah. Um, gotcha. And so he would just sort of like slip onto these horses and then kick them into, into motion and then they'd ride off and it would almost be like, you know, whoever, the stable owner just sees the horse kind of trotting off and doesn't think and then has to do a double take and like, wait, somebody's on that horse. Yep. And then by then he's just galloping down the road and that's kind of it. So he's good at stealing horses. He's good at traveling and getting around very quickly. And he doesn't care about his own identity. Nilfane Nilsrael is not anything to him. It's a name that his parents gave him. Yep. He thinks it's a name that he he was called, not by the man he was raised by, because he couldn't speak. So but, there's, no, there's no Nils a real legacy that he's there's no, yeah. It's by. just it's it's not a name that he came up with. It's just a name that he, he has, and he doesn't really know where it came from. And it does he doesn't really matter to him. He doesn't have his his own I- identity, and he barely identifies with himself. He's mm-hmm. just sort of doing things. He's at this point now that he's joined the Dark Brotherhood. He's like an arbiter of death and very little else. He's not concerned about what anyone else might think of him or if somebody sees him when he's uh, completing his contracts, these assassinations, because there's no identity. I mean, the people of the Dark Brotherhood, they're like a little girl vampire and mm-hmm. um, just some there's some colorful folks. There's a werewolf in there. Yep. But these people, they have identities, and I'm, I'm assuming that and, and Nilfane sort of assumes that when they go out into the world, they can blend in and be normal people. Whereas Nilfane, he, he doesn't have that. He's just sort of like, he's either there or he's not, and those are the two sides of him. There's no personality, per se. Not yet, anyway. So he isn't slowed down by the idea of self-preservation. Uh, he can't be found out or exposed because he's just... It, it, it is what it is. He's yeah, just what's, there. what's there to expose? What is there to expose? So... With all that in mind, he's, he's able to just go everywhere, he, he completes his tasks, and he doesn't leave hanging threads. But an example of the way that he operates was his first kill was for a, like a drunk in yeah. a small village. This is the first like side contract he had to take down. He walks into the village, and this is how I actually played it. He walks into the village, and you know he, he's dressed like an assassin, but he just um, he walks in, broad daylight, everybody's going about their day, he immediately spots the guy he's supposed to kill. He stands out like a sore throne. Everybody here is working and this dude is just drunk. 
he he walks over to him and the way I played it was Nilfane is he kind of he walks across this little stream that cuts through the middle of this little village I can't remember the name of the village uh, and the drunk is over by this house and he just sort of he, he walks over to the guy the drunk by the house and drops into crouch immediately just comes up behind him that's it cuts yeah. his throat and then drops him into the into the little stream before he even has time to bleed and he's just there like it wasn't any you know sneaking around and and waiting a lot of the other dark brotherhood uh, members had recommended that Nilfane go during the day late afternoon sneak into this guy's house and then just wait until it's dark and when he comes home to go to sleep he'll be too drunk to notice anyone there and you take him down but that's not how he operates that would take too long that's not an efficient way to get things done so he walks up to him drops down kills him, drops him into the stream, and then just walks away. And by doing it so nonchalantly, it's like nobody can even notice that he's there. It happened, and then like a minute later, somebody might be like, wait, what the, what's he, you know, he fall down drunk again, and then then there's uh, there's blood in the stream. Which is not good. If you have blood in your stream, you need to go to a doctor. Yeah, it's unhealthy. So you're drinking water. (laughs) So he doesn't have any of these hanging threads. Uh, He's always able to complete his contracts efficiently and without issue. Except, as you might remember, I mentioned last time, that one Khajiit. Oh, I remember. That one Khajiit he could not kill. So, yeah, what is he, wandering around or something like that? He's wandering around. It was just, he just never run into him. In between all these other things, he had never um, been able to catch up with the right Khajiit caravan. Uh He'd been able to track a few of them, but it it never worked out. So he's got this hanging threat. That's the one thing. He hates it. He hates that he can't kill this one dude. Um, Not because he really wants to kill him, but because it's a job that he can't complete. And that's just not the way he operates. It's something that's hanging over him. Nobody even really cares. People of the Dark Brotherhood are like, yeah, you just finish the contract when when you get to it. Yeah. But for him, it's like he's trying to get to it and he can't. So in the meantime, there's a few things that happen with the Dark Brotherhood. A few big events that start to shape him. Uh, because up until now, everything he's done has been sort of perfect. The first thing that goes wrong is an assassination at a wedding. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this quest. But what's you, you get hired uh, as part of the Dark Brotherhood quest line to uh, assassinate the Emperor. And then yep, there's like a bunch of that. there's a bunch of quests leading up to it. One of them is to is to kill uh, somebody at a wedding. Oh, in solitude? Yeah. Yep. So you attend this wedding and, and Nilfane attended this wedding and he hung back and he saw his opportunity when the bride was up giving her speech to the audience uh, on a balcony. He snuck off into a parallel balcony. There was a bow there waiting for him. He took the arrow, took the bow. No issues. He, he took the shot. It's something that may have bothered other members of the Dark Brotherhood. Probably not in the Dark Brotherhood. But to kill a bride on her wedding day in front of all of her guests, you know, it's a little effed up. You gotta be kind of a jerk. Yeah. And, but there was no issues. Nobody saw him do it, anything like that. But as soon as he came back down... There was chaos. There were guards everywhere, uh, and he realized that he might be trapped. Uh, and that's when one of his Argonian brothers from the, the, the Dark Brotherhood showed up and had his back uh, and started just going at everybody. So he kind of took the heat off of Nilfane. Nilfane was able to escape, but he didn't like that. He didn't like that. Basically, he had to kind of rush through solitude, and, and chaos is erupting all over the city because news is very quickly traveling that this bride was just killed during her wedding and she's like a major political figure or something i can't quite remember Nilfane wouldn't care anyway yeah um and so there's there's this this chaos and, and chaos despite the fact that he's currently serving sithis it's not really his jam that it doesn't didn't necessarily go badly because he was able to you know complete his contract it is what it is um but it was kind of the first of many things that started to 
weigh on him. Most people can probably deal with change and deal with uh, adversity a little bit, but he's been so good for so long at what he does that anytime something goes wrong, it, it probably affects him more than it would affect the average uh, assassin. <laughs> well, he has not much experience with things going wrong. Right. He's been doing... Ever since he came to Skyrim, everything's kind of been going <laughs> wrong for him, though. But there's a, there's a, a situation where you are tasked with impersonating the gourmet, this famous chef, so that you can infiltrate and uh, poison the emperor that way. And this is when things really start to, he starts to see it as his downfall as an assassin. So he finds out where the gourmet is going to be. He sneaks into this tavern. He waits in the basement for hours, just crouching there in the darkness, which I said before, that's not really his style. Normally he just walks in, does the thing and he leaves. But this one he had to prepare for. So I'm just, you know, crouching in the basement for, for hours, waiting for this dude to come in. He finally shows up. I take him down and, or Nilfane takes him down, (laughs) um, so there's a, this whole long, elaborate setup. Everything that I've been talking about has been a setup for the assassination of the Emperor. He sneaks in, he performs all the duties that he needs to perform, impersonating this master chef, this gourmet, uh, poisoning the food, serving the food directly to the Emperor, and then positioning himself right at the escape door. The Emperor dies, Nofane flees out the back door as quickly as he can, and suddenly he is stopped by the guards. The Emperor's guards. And this has all been a, an elaborate setup for the Dark Brotherhood. Yeah, so it's these uh, Penitus Oculatus agents. These are, um, they're oh, like Imperial yeah. Guards, but they're specifically yeah. for the Emperor. Yeah, they're at the end of Oblivion, too, I right. think. So he, es- Nilfane escapes out this back door, and he's on this bridge, and he's in solitude. He's in this big uh, castle, you know. Uh-huh. He, he's not exactly hidden. He's not a, you know, slipping away into the woods or anything. He's in the middle of the city at the heart of solitude, at the heart of Skyrim, really. And suddenly he's being accosted by these, these agents who are saying, like, yep, we knew you were going to do this. We set you up. You just killed a bad impersonator. You didn't kill the emperor. And now you're and now you're fucked. So this Whoa. is this is basically Nilfane's like worst case scenario because now he has to get out. And he right. he can't go back in because there's guards pouring out from the castle behind him. The head of him is this, is a long stone bridge and then a tower spiraling downstairs mm-hmm. uh, to the main streets of solitude. So he he can't go back and if he goes forward, he's just going to be running into more danger and this has never been his way of dealing with things. His way has always been in the shadows to just be a ghost, and now you can't be a ghost. So Not when everyone sees you. So he, he has no choice. He, he puts away his dagger. Uh, he can't reach for his bow. It's just two swords come into his hands, and he has to just start fighting. And Whoa. he's able to fight. That's not like that's the issue, but suddenly there are just corpses everywhere. And he's, he's running forward and slashing and knocking everybody away, and now realizing that he has to escape as quickly as he possibly can. Otherwise, this, this is going to go bad real fast. Yeah. So he's he's fighting off these these agents, uh, and he gets into the to the stone stairway. There's a trail of dead. Four or five guards are dead behind him now on the bridge. Um, and he, he runs into this stone tower, which is super narrow. It's just like a narrow stone staircase going down. Uh-huh. Uh, and he stands at the top of it, and he runs down a few steps, and he sees um, not only now these agents coming up at him, but solitude guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I quickly, or Nilfane quickly switched to his bow, and I started just firing down as, as many arrows as I could in this like tunnel that they're they're kind of funneling up to me in. And I'm lo- unloading arrows and arrows and arrows, and, and sure enough, they're they're gaining ground on Nilfane, and he can't really go back. I mean, no. he, there's the open bridge, but what is he gonna do? Just jump off and kill himself? That's not really gonna work. So again, the, the blades come out, uh, and it's just. In, in the actual game of Skyrim, I was, like, totally swarmed by enemies and was like, I am yeah. not going to survive this. Oh, I had, like, no. two potions yeah, on me. Yeah, that's a heavy fight. And I just kept um, getting... I would kind of corner Nilfane against 
the back stone wall and then these agents would come up at me and I would just slam into their shields with my sword as many times as I could uh -huh. and then with the last bit of you know energy I would have left uh, I would do like the dual wielding um, blade attack where you, yep. you know you hold down both the back triggers whatever <laughs> you just like spin your swords around yep. and then that would usually drop one of them and then there would be a body in the stairway, and then they, you know the body would kind of crumple down and, and fall down, uh, and then again and again and again and again, and there's just like blood and chaos filling this tiny little tower, and I imagine that like the the heat, the humidity in there is just like it starts to stink with this with death basically. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's just the most like carnal, violent thing that he's really had to be involved in because it's all just about killing a clean right. kill. Yeah, this is the opposite. Just bringing swift death, but this is just like super super violent. So yeah, there's just this this flurry of blades and blood, and he's able to cut his way down over these bodies finally and get out of the tower. And then he's on the streets of Solitude, and the first thing he does is not run for the city gates because he realizes that he's probably not going to escape if he runs that way. Um, he he dashes um, the opposite way, just sort of further into the city, into like the uh, the living quarters of or the district where a lot of the people live. Uh -huh. uh, first, he's hiding out in gardens. It's almost like a modern day like like cop chase. Like where yeah. he's like hopping fences and hiding in backyards. Uh, and then he sees somebody come out of their house who has no idea what's going on. And meanwhile, you know, the solitude guards and the whatever agents are chasing him down. Uh, and I, qu as quickly as possible, had no fame, uh, run up to the back of this house that I just saw the person come out, pick the lock, run in, and then I just hid out in there for a while. And it seemed like that actually worked and that uh -huh. the guards didn't follow me in. So I quickly... Or I, wait, I waited a little while, like, not actually, like, pressing the button and wait. Like, I just waited in-game and kind of, like, snuck around this person's house waiting for the music to die away or waiting for what I felt yeah. like was a good moment because he knows that he can't stay in the city for long. They'll find him. He has to get out. It's only a matter of time. So I waited a few minutes, and then I was like, all right, got to go back out. Nilfane runs back out into the streets and is able to actually make, like, a mad dash, you know, through alleyways and behind shops straight for the city gates. Once he gets to the city gates, the guards are going to see him, and that's exactly what happened. Um, right. So he slams into the gates, pushes his way out, uh, and is just sprinting down the road to Solitude, trying to get off the main road as quickly as possible. But these agents are behind him. Solitude guards are just firing arrow after arrow towards him. And it was, like, a pretty, like, hectic moment for me as a player and for, I guess, the character as well, just sprinting away from this botched assassination attempt where... Everything that he's he's had is just crumbling down around him, sprinting down the road, and eventually Nilfane is able to escape into the woods. And he feels like, you know, that's it. They, they can't pursue him any further. They don't know where he went, but that was bad. And, it, I mean, it was kind of bad. It was bad for the guild because, or the brotherhood, because, you know, this was a, this was a huge job for them, and they were set up. They were screwed with, and Nilfane was at the center of that, and he was very, very unhappy with that. So... From here, he realizes that he needs to lay low. He can't, like, go and take the next job just yet because he was just seen by everybody. Uh -huh. um, I think I described him briefly last time. He had this super, super long white hair, and he just he, he kind of stands out a little bit. As much as he is able to sort of blend in, now that everybody knows him, he has a distinct look, and they're like, okay, we know who you are. So he, he's had contacts at the Thieves Guild before. And he decides that's that's going to be his next option. He needs work. He needs to do something. But he needs to stay away from the Brotherhood for a little while. So he goes he goes to the Thieves Guild. And I didn't track any of these quests specifically. Because I knew that you were going to kind of do that again. Mm -hmm. um, but for the first time, Nilfane is completing these tasks. Getting paid to do certain things. And it doesn't involve killing. His jobs have always involved killing. Whether it's just hunting animals or now assassinations. He's always made money by killing things, and now he's specifically being asked not to kill things. 
And when he's down on the Ratway in the Winking Skeever or whatever the uh, the bar is yeah, called, that's it. That's it. in you know down in beneath Rifton in the sewers, there's this this bar where the Thieves Guild hangs out. The Ragged Flag. Yeah. Oh, the Ragged Flag, and that's what it Winking is. Winking Skeever, I think, is the one in Rifton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper. So he's uh he's down there and making friends, which is not something that he's ever done before. Because in the Brotherhood, it's they all have the, your back, mm-hmm. no matter what. That's sort of what being in the Brotherhood is. In the Thieves Guild, anybody could stab you in the back at any time. There's probably bar fights, shit like that going on. But they're right. they're also like they want to play cards and drink with you. Right. They're choosing to yeah. be there. They don't want to like hang out in the shadows and just be like, mm. like <laughs> they have like personalities. And and he finds that he's almost he doesn't really know how to engage with it, but he's there for it. And it's the first time that he he's he's a part of that. So he starts to change his appearance. He loses that kind of ghostly facade, and I actually changed his appearance in-game. I had him grow a little bit of a beard, a white beard, and um, tied his hair back. It's more of a, I don't want to call it a dignified look, but he looks more civilized now. Uh-huh. Um, he looks, he, he still, he looks like Geralt, but he's got, like, dark blue skin. <laughs> um, so he changes his appearance, he starts taking on jobs where he doesn't have to kill, uh, and he goes weeks without bloodshed. So, you know, he, he's going directly to these jobs, he's breaking into houses or into um, meteries or whatever, uh, and doing what he needs to do, but he's not killing anybody anymore. Right. He's explicitly not killing. And it's the first time that it's it's really been like that for him. So when he finally returns to the Brotherhood, because it's not like he's just like, okay, bye, you know, that went right. wrong. Eventually he returns to the, to the Brotherhood and he finds himself at odds with himself. For the first time in his life, he doesn't need to kill to survive. And he thinks briefly that maybe he's done with that kind of work. Maybe he's done being an mm-hmm. assassin. And it's hard to, to necessarily take a character and, and especially when I'm just retelling it, to take him and say, this makes sense that he went from being like a blood, not bloodthirsty, but a, a cold hearted killer who's all about death to somebody who's like, maybe I don't want to kill anymore. But I played this for like 20 hours in between yeah. while I was kind of developing these things and, you know, Going on quest, becoming a member of the Thieves Guild, but just deciding maybe that maybe killing for a living isn't really the work that he wants to do. Uh-huh. But then he takes a job from the Thieves Guild to steal something from the Jarl of Whiterun. He sneaks in, and once again, things go wrong. He sneaks all the way through past the guards, past everybody. He sneaks into the Jarl's chambers to steal whatever gem or jewel or whatever bullshit that he was, he was hired to steal. He gets all the way in there, and he takes it, and then he's spotted by the Jarl's son. Oh. This little kid. And, and he's faced with the choice, do I attack this kid? Mm-hmm. Do I silence him? Do I, you know, knock him out and hide him in the closet or something? Or do I just run? But before he can do anything, the kid starts screaming and he runs away. And now Nilfling just has to go. And he realizes that he needs to find some way out of this. Otherwise, the Thieves' Guild is now going to come under fire. He he brought he feels like he's sort of responsible for the Dark Brotherhood taking a hit because he was at the center of that botched assassination. Now he's going to be in the center of a, of a botched burglary mm-hmm. for the Thieves' Guild. He's going to destroy a second guild. So what he does is, which I don't know why I did this in the game, because I literally got busted while playing Skyrim. Like, I snuck in. The little kid really saw me. Yeah. I actually did attack him because I knew I couldn't do anything, and I was fucking pissed at him for discovering oh, me because I got so close. And what I did when I was leaving was attack the Jarl. 
because I was like, fuck it, I can't kill him. Yeah. Like, as the player, I know I can't kill the Jarl. So I just said, screw it. So I, I run out, and, and Nilfane, he's just sort of, he pulls his blades out, and he's just running. He's been caught. This kid is screaming, and everybody's like, wait, what's going on? So he sees a guard, he, he slashes at him. He just hits him in the shield, but it's enough to, yep. you know, rattle the guy. And as he's running, he's, he's slashing, and he's hitting everywhere. Suddenly, the whole, um, what is it called? Dragon's Reach is just out of control. Mm-hmm. They realize that there's an assassin here. Something's going on. There's a thief. Somebody's doing something. And people start yelling, thief. And so he realizes that he needs to sort of create a diversion for the reason that he's there. And it's not the right decision, but what he does is he attacks the Jarl. He just runs at him, just starts swinging his swords, you know, manages to cut him a little bit. Because he's not trying to kill him, but he's trying to create a diversion. And he has to make it seem like that's why he's there. But again, for him, that's more needless violence. That's more of what he, he loathes, more of what he doesn't like to do. Like I said, he, he got really good at stealing. He's, he's very sneaky. It's hard for people to see him, but this little boy screwed everything up for him. So he attacks the Jarl, he attacks a few more guards, and finally he's able to, to run out into Whiterun, over the walls, out into the fields, the plains west of, of Whiterun. He just goes. Uh, he gets his horse, Shadowmere, a gift given to him from the Dark Brotherhood. This, this jet black, like, nightmare, like, literally, like, a nightmare, like, this black yeah. steed with red eyes. So he, he within the chaos of all that, he, he gets on his horse and he rides away. He would rather, I guess, think that somebody was trying to kill the Jarl than to have this thief caught or bring trouble down to the thieves Something killed. petty like that. And then he starts to think, like, what am I, why? Why did I just do that? I'm caught in the cycle of violence where he says that he, he's only ever been about death. Like, death is nothing. It's just, like, a thing you do, and that's that. And he doesn't like violence. And yet, in all of these situations... He resorts to violence. And I think that it's interesting that that's really the only tool that the game gives you most of the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting, in like, from a storytelling perspective, when the only tool you have is, is violence. If you only have a hammer, all you see is nails. Yep. So he says he doesn't like fighting, he doesn't like violence. It's just this death, this swift death, this clean thing, this end. That's fine, but the violence, no. And yet, that's always a solution, is, is to fight. So he's just out. He just starts wandering. Uh, he doesn't want to go back to the Thieves' Guild. He doesn't want to go back to the Dark Brotherhood right now. You know, he's just he's just wandering on his horse. And he doesn't know if the guards from Whiterun are pursuing him. He feels like he got away. But he's just he's just riding. And he sees this herd of mammoth. And he just starts following them, just because. And as night starts to fall, he, you know, it's dusk. It's not too late yet. He starts thinking, I need to camp out here and find a place to stay. He sees a rocky outcropping. And he rides up and decides to go check it out. And the first thing he realizes is that there's bones everywhere and that there's uh, a dead man. And he, he goes down to check. He understands, okay, I can't stay at this this little cave because wow. something lives here. And he crouches down to, to check to see um, if this man has anything on him, whatever. He's lo- I was looting him. Yep. I was looting this dead body. Uh, and right then I turn around and there's a, a frost troll. Ooh. And frost trolls, I feel like no matter what level you're at, unless you have fire, frost trolls are an issue. Yep. And Nilfane hasn't fought anything like this. I don't think I ever have really... Like, ever. Maybe, like, once or twice, and I was, like, shooting arrows at them while stealth. But this thing got the drop on him. So he he was about to, you know, set up for camp, maybe, and suddenly he's attacked by a troll, and the battle is just, like, insane. It's just, like, scrappy, and again, just this kind of, for you know, the fourth or fifth time in a row, just this utter violence. Where he's just going at it with a frost troll trying not to get killed, and finally he kills the thing, and the adrenaline is just pumping. It's just going crazy. Because he hasn't had that kind of, I don't want to call it a thrill, but it sort of was a thrill for a while. Yeah. And he realizes that, yeah, he hasn't killed for a while. And now he's got this adrenaline pumping and he knows he can't sleep. But he feels different. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't feel ambivalent about that kill. Sure, it was a frost troll, not a person, but it's still, it's life. It, it, life and death. It didn't feel like violence to him this time. It felt like survival. 
So with too much adrenaline, he, he kind of rides off into the night. He comes up on this, this rocky outcropping, and he just, he just looks out across the, the, the plains. I was sort of in between White Run and maybe Markarth. I wasn't yeah. in the reach just yet, but I was, I was still west of, of White Run, just sort of looking around. It's getting darker, it's getting darker, and that's when Nilfane spots him. He can, he can just see it from you know, a mile away the Khajiit that he's been looking for. He sees him and he just no. knows. He's been looking for this dude everywhere. He's he's asked around, he's heard descriptions of this guy, the caravan that he travels with, and he sees this guy and he's like, that's him. So he, he goes from all of this bullshit to finally being able to focus back in on this one thing that he was pursuing super hard before. He sees this Khajiit and he just gets ready to fight. So my character is Sings by Moon. He is an Argonian. He was a, an orphaned child. His parents were kidnapped by dark elf slavers in his his home of the southern tip of Morrowind, which is currently occupied by the Argonians of Black Marsh. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're going to have maps and all these things in the show notes. So if you hear us like barking about all these random locations in east of this, west of that, uh, whether they're about Skyrim, the 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 province or about Tamriel, the entire continent right. that these games take place on. We'll have maps to all these places. So, um, Sings by Moon uh, ends up finding a group of uh, Sithis worshipping assassins as a young child who take him in, teach him the ways of the Shadow Scale, uh, which is a, a, a specific type of Argonian assassin. Uh, particularly associated with the Dark Brotherhood, mm -hmm. uh, an assassination guild, which Sings by Moon has only heard of, um, <laughs> and has never, he's only heard of them in legend. Uh, his 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 assassination guild is it's really more of a religious order. Trained him and in both like the worship of the Dread Father and in assassinations. So. As he grew up, he became extremely proficient and, um, having lived on his own for a long time, was very survivable. Mm -hmm. So he was sent on many different long-distance missions. On one of them, he ended up getting roped up in some sort of dragnet uh, at the southern tip of Skyrim, uh, has some, some dragon intervene in his execution, and on his way back, managing to somehow escape all of this craziness, gets into the, the town of Windhelm, which is on the eastern border mm -hmm. of Skyrim and Morrowind. So he's trying to get back into Morrowind, back to his guild, since he was had completed a job, but on his way... Trying to get paid. Trying to get... Oh, yeah, exactly. He's trying to, trying to collect that loot. Uh, right now, he's penniless. He's got nothing. Ends up overhearing about a young child performing a dark ritual to summon the Dark Brotherhood. Takes the quest, ends up assassinating this old matron in the, the city of Riften, south mm -hmm. of Windhelm. And that's where we left him off. Cool. He returned to Windhelm by night uh, around the early morning. He showed up and has just this elation, this satisfaction. Because the significance of all of the events that, that I've already described is that you know, he has spent his entire life worshipping the, the chaos, unbridled chaos of Sithis. Right. And chaos is more than just like what you think about or more than what's conjured in the mind when that word is said. It's more than just uh, things exploding and just a mass hysteria. Chaos is also about, it's just sort of the idea of change, radical change. Mm -hmm. um, and radical change that can't be predicted, that can't be slotted into some sort of order, some sort of, like, what's the word, teleological thing that makes sense. Right? That's a word. I said it. I believe it. Um, so he's 
thought a lot about this dragon, where the hell it ever it came from, mm -hmm. um, and how it set him free. This this act of complete chaos sets him free. And as he is continuing, he he just happens upon the the dream job of a lifetime. <laughs> job of a lifetime. Uh, on the just just trying to get out of the city he happens to be in the right place at the right time. That's a, that's a form of chaos. It, you he could not have ever in a million years said I'm going to stay in Skyrim right. and try to find the Dark Brotherhood no that would have been orderly this was just a complete act of uh, of Sithis and so having completed this task knowing that he has taken the contract from the Dark Brotherhood as per the night the night ritual he is he's finally going to get the most important sleep of his life mm -hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he rolls into town uh, it's probably about 4 or 5 a.m. The sky is just starting to crack on one, on one side with a little bit of, of uh, like light blue tint. And he, he can start to see shopkeepers like kind of pulling their carts over to the marketplace district. And he gets in to the tavern, lays down, and he has a dream. He has a dream of a perfect cloudless midnight, cold as winter and shrouded in shadow. Eight hours pass, <laughs> and he wakes up. No visit from the Night Mother, no visit from Sithis. Just his eyes open, and all he sees is this this arched ceiling of this tavern. Just stops for a second, just gets this that feeling of panic, like that kind of like when your head gets cold almost, when like you realize like, oh fuck, yes. I, I, there's a test today, and I told, yes. or like, you know, what I mean, you yeah. get that like, oh I'm fucked feeling yeah. like yeah. deep in your stomach he wakes up he gets that for a moment but immediately starts rationalizing so maybe I didn't sleep hard enough well yeah the book says that you know it, you'll sleep it doesn't necessarily say like your next sleep right. like who knows maybe the applicant pool is stuffed and, and Sithis is just like overworked he took a day he took a personal day he's just what he he in any way in his mind he tries to rationalize okay maybe I'm too close to the scene of the of the night ritual <clears throat> maybe I'm Maybe I need to kill more. Maybe I need to... He, he starts all of a sudden thinking of the things he has done over... You know, how, how he did these... How He saw those children. He revealed his face. Does that have something to do with it? Did he somehow... Just the wipe of the, the blood on all their yeah, shirts? Yeah, like share, sharing the spoils of the kill. Was that, was that in some way a violation? Would they not... And he said, well, but if I violated the contract, wouldn't they be punishing me? Wouldn't I at least be visited by Sithis to be, to be sacrificed for my wrongdoing? Like, I'll take it. Uh, nothing. Just now all that is in front of him is a life. And he just immediately thinks, okay, I can't, he can't just go back to sleep right then and there. He just had a full night's sleep, a very good night's sleep. He woke <laughs> up. He's feeling very energized. He's awake. Uh, so energized and awake that he has his full facilities to realize just how completely and utterly stonewalled he is if this doesn't work mm -hmm. out. Uh, because this has been everything. And so he leaves the, the tavern, just starts walking. Uh, right now it's about, it's about the mid-afternoon. He slept about like you know, eight or nine hours. And... He just wanders over to the market district, just sort of absent-mindedly, and he decides he's going to at least spend some time doing alchemy, which is his other love, or where he's... Murder and alchemy. Right. They've, they've actually come hand-in-hand hand a lot of times. He, in his, in his day, 
was actually a very like a accomplished alchemist in Morrowind and had like a very solid recipe for an invisibility potion. Uh, one that he has since losing all of his material possessions and being arrested has also lost. He's lost. Uh, he remembers the the recipe, but he's lost all of his materials that he was carrying in his satchel. So and they're unattainable in this climate. Right. In Skyrim, they're not around. So and he has yet to be able to find something to. Uh, replace it. Mm -hmm. He's still at this point. He's only been in Skyrim about like three or four days. Oh wow! He yeah. moves. He moves fast. Right. Well, yeah. He went from from Riverwood to Windhelm, and then just down to the south to Riften, and then back up to Windhelm. And so now he is in uh, the marketplace district, and he notices this store with this this interesting looking emblem, and then a, a name, the White File. He says, "Oh, a file." He already found one of the. Um, He's already he's already murdered one owner of a, an alchemist yeah. store, so he figures he may at least go What's and two? scout this one. And he goes in, and as you'd expect, adorned all over the counter and and, and the shelves behind are void salts and ice wraith teeth and all like luna luna moth uh, wings and all of these different um, alchemical ingredients that he he recognizes and he knows. He also has this book. Uh, that he found early in his travels, the Herbalist's Guide to Skyrim. So he's been sort of, you know, pawing through that thing and finding different combinations of herbs that you can find in, in Skyrim in the north and is becoming reasonably successful enough to make mostly poisons or poisons of stamina, uh, some sort of thing to like kind of stop your enemy from, from moving as, mm -hmm. as quickly. He loves putting that on his blades because he only uses his daggers in combat. Uh, he doesn't have a secondary weapon. He also doesn't have armor at this point. So he has to very much rely on uh, stealth and a lot of these poisons. Mm -hmm. So he walks into the white file, sees all of these things. He's like, I'm casing the fuck out of this yeah. place. Oh, yeah. So he sees an old man behind the counter who immediately, oh, an alchemist, uh, and <laughs> pops off this conversation. Sings by Moon at this point, he's not really seeking any conversation at all. He normally isn't. Right. Ever. But uh, this day in particular, this is like the day where it's like you, he's going to have a very hard time even pretending to be uh, normal. But he, he yes, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for sale? And so they exchange um, a few a few bits. He doesn't have much coin, but he has managed to scavenge on his way from Windhelm to Riften and back um, or vice versa. A few things on the road, some like iron helmets he's found like on these just sorts of these like encampments with bones. He he doesn't ask questions a lot of the time. He doesn't wait around for a lot of trouble either because he's again he has an agenda and and it up until this morning was uh, do all of these things right and you will finally get a chance to serve in in the assassination guild that you have only read about in books since you were a little kid and dreamed about and had it's more than that too because it's also his ancestry. He's, he, his mm -hmm. parents, who, who he doesn't remember very much, knows that they were from Black Marsh. Um, and Black Marsh is sort of, it's a southern continent on Tamriel. I'm sorry, it's a southern province in the continent of Tamriel. So if you, you can see my map right there, Chris. Uh, over <laughs> Just on everyone right. needs to know that Dylan does have uh, multiple Elder Scrolls maps. I have a, a map of Skyrim, I ha and then beneath it, I have a map of Cyrodiil, which is how it's laid out. And then next to it, I have a, it's, it's very small, but I have a whole map of Tamriel, the entire continent. Um, Black Marsh is like one of the southernmost. It's the south uh, easternmost. So it's like the Florida of Tamriel. 
pretty much. And it's just a pretty much inhospitable swampland. But uh, the the communion that Argonians have with the hist trees and the sap of the hist tree, uh, which is native to Black Marsh, has allowed them to communicate with Sithis from time immemorial. So this runs, you know, it's... He doesn't have like a family lineage, but mm -hmm. he does identify as an Argonian, especially, you know, once you pick a side, once you decide like, if you're like, okay, I don't know which baseball team I hate, I mean, which baseball team I like, but I hate the Yankees. Right. You're going to eventually be like, okay, well, I like the Red Sox or some other team in the AL East. You're going to, you're going to pick one. <laughs> so once he, once he had this unbridled hatred in his heart for Dark Elves, he started to identify as an Argonian. Right. You know what uh, I mean? I see. Uh, it's it's not now. It's more than just they've done something wrong. It's like I, and we have done something right, and they have for generations taken it from us. So, identifying as an Argonian, identifying with Sithis, these things are becoming like extremely uh, important to him. And he, I don't know how did I just go on that whole rambling rant? But he he was talking to this <laughs> uh, shopkeep about just random alchemical formulas and seeing what he had for sale, and then. The shopkeep mentions that he looks like he may be somewhat of an adventurer, mm. uh, which isn't, which is a perceptive uh, thing to say because he's wearing just clothing. He has no weapons, garnish. He has no. Uh, maybe it's just a few scars on his face. Um, Sings by Moon immediately just sort of try, don't downplays it. No, no, no. I am a simple traveler. <laughs> and yes, that's his advice. I've never had to do Neil Fane's voice because he doesn't talk. <laughs> True, very true. Sings my moon talks a lot, especially because most of the dialogue options are garbage. So I have to pretend. It's seriously, dude. It's a very good voice. It's, yes, of course. It's very good. But um, this shopkeep comments, uh, oh, well, that's too bad. Um, I I, he tells this whole story about how he's spent most of his life studying uh, this legendary item called the White File which is what his shop is named after. He says that the white file, uh, legend has it, it's that the, it's this, you know, like a file that you would pour some sort of potion or alchemical formula mm -hmm. into. Um, but any liquid that you pour into it immediately replenishes and purifies. So you can have, so if you say you have like three ingredients that you're trying to uh, throw into a mortar and pestle and, and turn into some sort of um, potion or poison, you may have two that work and then one that doesn't work. And the potion may end up achieving your desired effect and then having some sort of odd side effect. So the white file, in addition to refilling whatever liquid gets put into it, will also purify and get rid of any of those odd side effects, which can be troublesome when you're not sure. You only, you only have so many um, materials and you want to mix them and make sure you're not going to waste one of them, with that, but you have to mix, get two out of the three. It can be confusing. This immediately... To sings by moon, it's like, oh, it takes his mind off of, of being you know uh, existentially dormant. For I like right that now. you like dug into that because I did this quest on Nilfane and kind of was just like yeah I'll go get the thing and bring it back to you. Well, I didn't know like anything about it. Well, SBM doesn't do quests. <laughs> doesn't he? Right. He uh, he has absolutely no interest in anyone else's affairs, um, unless they may peripherally benefit him mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so he hears this old man going on and on and on about he kind of stops listening at you know white file and what it does and this old man starts rambling on and on about something or other how he's located it in some uh some cave in in skyrim uh somewhere to the north Bingen comments that he's he's becoming sickly and you can sort of he could 
hear it in his voice. He does have this sort of phlegmy, almost like sound like maybe like bronchitis or some mm. some sort of like respiratory illness. Uh, kind of stops to hack up a little bit and says that well, if you were to, you know, get this for me, I would happily make it worth your while. So he he kind of puts the idea in in SBM's head like well. He doesn't have any thought about the reward because if he gets the white file, he's just gonna keep it. <laughs> he's you know no, he's not gonna come back and give it to this guy. Thanks for the info, dude. All right. So he takes it, uh, or takes the quest, and decides that this will be some way for him to at least get out of the city limits. Perhaps spend a night in like camping out on his way, and then get another night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Sort of like rolling mm-hmm. the dice every night now, because uh, he's not giving up hope entirely. Right, uh, it was just one night. It was just one night, and you can't you can't base it all off of one night. No, sometimes you need like another night to prove that, <laughs> you know, that was just a fluke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he leaves the city of of Windhelm probably around like mid afternoon, late afternoon, and starts traveling north. Um, and as he gets north, it gets snowier and more mountainous. Starts to very much regret not having any sort of armor or anything warmer mm-hmm. than, than this, this, uh, it's like whatever cloth material he's wearing. Uh, but he does, he is wearing, he does have scales. So he, and he's sort of has this ability, this innate ability. He just lays out on a warm rock. <laughs> yeah. Right. He just, well, he, he's luckily he's not cold blooded. So he has this <laughs> ability to channel fire into his hand. So he, he puts one of his daggers away and <sighs> casts this, this flame as he's walking, uh, just sort of heating himself up. And he sees high up in some mountain, like beyond some mountain, you can see this, like something sticking out, like it looks like something structural. Mm-hmm. So as he gets around the mountain, he's still heading north uh, toward this, where this, this cave supposedly is. He, he kind of rounds it and he sees that what he's seeing is like a hand pointing up of some like gigantic statue. And then as it goes down, he immediately recognizes and just lurches in disgust as he sees this shrine to Azura, the the chosen Daedra of the Dark Elves, and he immediately just spits this just this bile from his gut as he just casts casts his hood up and just walks in the other direction. Just sort of gritting and and just immediately just overcome with this. Like it's a very real thing to Mm -hmm. him. Uh Mm -hmm. because not he's not very uh, he's not very well versed in the the like ways of the gods necessarily in the so the Daedra or the Aedra, which in the Elder Scrolls uh, lore is <laughs> well you see um, the the like mortal plane didn't always exist. It used to be like I talked about in the early in the first episode there was Ariel and there is Sithis. I really hope I'm getting that right. I didn't look it up. I should have, <laughs> uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, Ariel being stasis and order and uh sithis obviously being chaos and disorder so there was this sort of like you know creation myth and then somewhere along the lines gods are born and they sort of live in the cosmos one of them this this god named lorcan decides he wants to create a mortal realm and he gets uh, eight of the or actually seven of the other uh god like figures in this universe to to pool their resources and create the mortal realm so that they can create uh, beings which would be an image of themselves um, and they would be able to, you know, live, you know, just continue this creation process over and over again. And 
out there the point is there's way more than just those seven gods who agreed to create the mortal plane and when the other gods found out that uh, Lorcan had convinced these gods to create the mortal plane without getting permission from the supreme god who I the name I can't remember, uh, they all decide to execute Lorcan and they take him and they cast him, they rip him in half uh, and they throw him into the sky surrounding this mortal plane that he has created. And that's the two moons oh. uh, that, that uh, orbit Nern, the planet of Elder Scrolls. So the gods <laughs> who, who, who helped create the mortal realm, those are the Aedra. And then gods which did not help uh, to create the mortal realm, which are either completely evil and against humanity, ambivalent towards humanity, and have no sort of effort at all, or um, sort of no opinion at all, or uh, sort of just play around with mortals, mm -hmm. like just as a plaything, just out of out, not even out of malevolence, just out of boredom. Uh, those are the Daedra. Azura is one of the Daedra. So, Sings by Moon hasn't really read very much about the ways of this god, just knows that she's protected the Dark Elves. For, for a long time and is responsible for their complexion in some way, something about some battle a long time ago in Morrowind um, at Red Mountain. So as he, he sees this despicable sight and continues on, eventually finds this cave uh, where he he treks in and is you know, stealthily making his way down uh, into this drab sort of like winding tunnel. Uh, and he realizes uh, that this cave leads into a tomb. Um, it starts to see all sorts of ancient uh, Nordic urns and uh, different like ornamentations mm -hmm. within a, a, a tavern. A, I'm sorry, a, a, a tomb. And as he's sneaking along, he hears behind him some sort of <laughs> the sound of stone against stone as this zombie dead nord thing with an, a sword just, just lumbers out and just starts slashing at him so he pulls out his daggers and starts chopping away he has this really cool spin attack where he crosses <laughs> he crosses his daggers and he uh does like one attack like that and then does like a 360 where he's just sort of spinning his blades around gets multiple attacks and uh he manages to deal with this zombie but he's just like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and just realizing the situation he's now in like it's better be worth it. So <laughs> he continues through this this tomb. Nothing. There's lots of of these dead Nord things, and they seem to be some of them are just lying in their in their tombs, so like un uncovered. And mm -hmm. you can see that there there's ones which are dead, which are just rotted. Yeah, you can tell they're dead. And then there's others which are sort of in some odd state, preserved. And before they could get any chance to be awoken, he would just <clears throat> plunge his his dwarven dagger uh, right into its heart. <clears throat> and makes his way all the way to the end of this tomb. Uh, and he's finding these, I believe he's finding these like journal entries or these, these scraps of, of some sort of, some sort of notes that someone was taking uh, who was perhaps here before and realizes, oh, as this gets deeper in, there might be more problems. Yeah. It looks like someone has maybe tracked this down before. Or maybe that old man has had this information for a very, very long time and someone has already discovered it. All he knows is that he's having a bad day. If he gets into this situation and there's no white file and he's killed and he's he's hurting himself too he's using a lot of his potions that he's made his health potions uh he's trying to preserve as much as he can but uh the last thing he wants is for this to be this is how he yeah he yeah, he, no. he gets stiff-armed by sithis and then takes some stupid quest for some thing that may or may not exist and then gets killed by a bunch of 
things that are already dead. Mm. So he precariously enough makes his way to the final chamber and he hears this, like, sees this, there's this odd, like, the wall, like, there's, it's a big, large room and then the, at the far end of it, there's this curved wall with all these, like, weird language he's never seen before. Uh, and he hears this, oh, oh, this chant coming and he's immediately on edge, but he doesn't see anything, like, moving. you know, he sees nothing, <laughs> yeah. he just hears it. And he notices one of the, one of the things in this back wall are, uh, it's glowing. It's this weird rune of some kind. And he moves up. Before that, there's this large altar. Um, and then he goes up the stairs to the altar and goes around the other side of it, ignoring that, that chanting for a moment. And he sees that there's like a compartment in, in this uh, thing. So he presses this, this button and out comes this, this white file. And he, before he even gets a chance to look at it, this, uh, t this thing from the top opens up uh, where he got the compartment from, mm -hmm. and this very, very well-armored, mean-looking, uh, evil... Sinsman thinks he may have, like, read about the end of the company called Draugr, or something like that. Pops out of this, of this, uh, sarcophagus, and then from his flank come two other, and he's like, ugh. So he sticks, <laughs> sticks this, this file into his, uh, into his satchel, <laughs> pulls out his blades, uh, Already has one poison, but decides just real quick while well, this thing's getting out, it just pops off another one, puts some poison on his blade, and engages in a very precarious and almost fatal battle. Uh, he takes a lot of blows, uh, manages, he's agile enough, he, he's able to sort of like use his um, agility to, you know, he'll jump mm -hmm. from place to place and can kind of, will get himself in a position where uh, it looks like his back is to the wall and then he'll immediately be able to jump and do this roll attack to get behind his enemies and try to get as many shots at their legs to slow him down as he can. Takes out the two sentries without without much trouble, but then is locked into some sort of some sort of battle with this, this white, this, this, it's got this like glow in its eyes mm -hmm. and it actually has hair coming off of its, it's like partially decomposed head. Uh, <laughs> Still got some scalp on there. Swinging this great axe down on him. He manages to eventually do away with it, catching uh, a blade right underneath his chin in this opportune moment, rolling out from one of his uh, axe attacks, his overhand smash until finally there's this calm. And he notices still like a white noise in the background. There's, oh, oh, ah, you, oh, ah, this crazy chant coming from this wall. So he turns and looks at it. And as he does, he's internalizes this sound uh like the way that if you're able like you know if you're able to if i'm able to say hey chris can you like remember the sound of like a car horn Ooh, uh -huh. you can play that in your head yeah right? uh he gets that it's just it goes from his ears into his uh inner ear and you can hear it sort of like rattling around his psyche but he just sort of shakes he's got bigger things to worry about he pulls out that file again and he notices this is exactly what is what the description is but there is a long hairline fracture creeping down the side of this file. So, oh, no, no, no. So he's, in, in the haste of removing the file and then seeing the, uh, the enemies, he just sort of threw it in his bag. So he didn't get a chance to inspect it. Not sure if he cracked it or if it was already cracked. Another thing he just does not need to do. So he, oh, okay, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that this is. But okay, so he, he takes it off and he takes one of his poisons and he pours it into it, uh, and then closes it and looks at it. And according to what it's supposed to do, it should immediately fill up and purify and, and glow this white, uh, radiant sort of glow. It does not. It just sits there, 
like a little puddle at the bottom of his file and, and he pulls it out and throws the you know splashes it out corks it heads back to Windhelm to give this old man a piece of his mind oh, no. and probably a piece of his dagger in his back Ooh. when he's sleeping but who knows this old man's done a lot of research perhaps he knows some sort of way to repair it so it can, maybe has some sort of mending wheel or something so he can regain his enchantment manages to make his way back, this time taking note of where you can see uh, the tip of the Shrine of Azura and <laughs> passes by with his <laughs> with his cloak up, gets back into uh, Windhelm, spends the last of his money on another room for, for the night, um, thinking he may as well see if he can get another night's sleep in. Mm-hmm. Closes his eyes this time, stays awake for a lot longer than, than the night before. Uh, just anxious. He's very much. He's worried. He's worried. Things are not going well, uh, and, and and he thought perhaps so many things have just been happenstance for him that, you know, he assumed. Oh, I just happened to find this shop called the White File right down the street where I can get this. He's gets high hopes again, and then it's not looking good. Again, it's not totally fucked. It's not right. totally hundred percent. Right. Maybe right. maybe the old man can fix it. Maybe said this is gonna hit him up, and then he's not even gonna borrow it. He's gonna smash the thing in front of the guy's uh, shop and just be like peace, and then go off and, and join the Dark Brotherhood. But alas, about eight nine hours pass, and <clears throat> his eyes open. Dark still in still in Windhelm. So he's starting to feel disjointed, and he immediately before he has a chance to, it's almost like. You know, there this like dark, ominous music started playing in his head, and immediately, oh, I have that file. And so he, before any sort of like real evil can take over in his mind, he decides, okay, maybe this will turn out good for me. So he, <laughs> Love the with, boy. with some some tiny bit of hope, heads down to the, uh, the white file, the store, and sees the old man's assistant at the counter. And he's, what is the old man? And uh, his assistant, like a Breton, I think he is. Oh, he's upstairs. He's he's sleeping. He's not feeling very, very well at all. So without even saying anything, <laughs> clutches the, the Wi file off the counter and just heads upstairs. Uh, the, the shop assistant's like, but, but excuse me, sir, sir. Uh, just boom, 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 heads right upstairs, sees this old man sleeping, goes over to his bed and starts, wake up. And starts <laughs> shaking, shaking just grabs his shoulder, wake up. Uh, and the old man, very groggy, like, oh, <laughs> Uh, he sees immediately sees the white file and his eyes open wide. Oh, just and then he starts to grab it out of uh, SBM's hands, and SBM just pulls him up, like sort of the, resists his grab and pulls it out of his grasp and says and turns it to show this crack going down the side. And immediately this old man just starts berating, <laughs> sings by moon, blaming this on him. This is this is madness. How could this have happened? You must not have handled it correctly. Uh, gives him this, reads him the riot act, and sings that moon stops listening because at this point it's like, yeah. <laughs> there's a ringing in his ears. He sees this old Breton man just screaming in his face, just alive with flying out of his lips, and all he's thinking about is just complete and utter nihilism. It it's it's not. It, it's not even an anger. It's not a rage. It's a uh, a deep and dull, aching, just nihilism. Mm-hmm. Like, the real nihilism. Not like, I'm trying to be funny on the internet nihilism. <laughs> like, an actual thought that perhaps existence is 
far more trouble than it is worth. Not even like the, these hopes of, of serving some sort of greater God, because if, you, if you're trying to serve a higher purpose and the higher purpose seems to be slapping you down over and over, where are you to go? Right. Um, so as he regains uh, his, his facilities, this old man says, here, for your troubles, and then just throws a gold coin, one a single gold coin on the ground. Um, and the SPM sees this and just smashes the file <laughs> in front of this old man as he scrambles on the ground to pick up the pieces, walks out, walks out of the town, the city of Windhelm, just with nothing on his mind but this, this ache. It's like a dull feeling in his brain. Like you can he can actually feel it in his head. It's like kind of like a headache or like a migraine, but it's not, it's not uh, over. It it's like from the inside out, uh, and. He starts to feel his 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 resolve start to he's splinter. His he's starting to like fracture a little bit on the inside. Does Sithis not want him? Has he has he done something wrong? Has all has he been misreading all of these clues? Is his is his purpose something else? Um, and he he realizes as he's thinking of this that he's walking in this like really dark shadow, sort of like the uh it's almost like the path he's walking, he's now walking, uh, he believes, west, mm -hmm. like, out of, um, out of Windhelm, following this river, and he's, like, overshadowed by this, like, this long, like, kind of, like, over a mile long outcropping that leads up into the mountain range toward, like, Dawnstar, where he was, previously was, uh, trying to find the White File, and he's, like, in this shadow, and he keeps walking and walking, following this river, thinking nothing of it, and then starts to really as the hours pass by, become superstitious. Starts thinking, well, did I misstep in some way? What if I did this? Perhaps I must kill more. He keeps thinking this. <laughs> this keeps coming back to him. Yes, I must, I must kill more. So he, try, he keeps going. It's starting to, the sun's starting to come out now. Um, and he sees way, way, way over up on this large hill in the middle of these plains uh, as like the meadows start to kind of sprawl out as the mountain range like, gets further and further in the distance uh, this like large city up on a hill surrounded by like little looks like you know all sorts of like um, like windmills and, and different mm -hmm. looks like maybe some eateries or different farmsteads and he heads up toward this this city makes himself or just walks right in the gate makes himself at home looks around meets some of the shopkeeps just mingles a little bit finds the alchemy shop <laughs> goes in <laughs> Meets with the alchemist. Yeah. Uh, you know, they exchange. He, he, he has no money, so he doesn't... He just looks around and realizes he's got a long day ahead of him. So he goes out into uh, the, like, the outskirts of this little town and just starts collecting different ingredients for, for his alchemical projects. It's, it soothes him. He's got to do something to pass the time. Right. He's, he's just sort of given up hope. Yeah, just but, a little bit. He's his still his mo is like get through a day, go to sleep, perhaps something will go your way. Um, as he's traveling like out, he's trying to find these different these different like flowers or sorts of uh, fungi that he can use. He sees this like cart on along the road, like, right on the outskirts of town, sort of near the stables, and it appears like a wheel has fallen off. And even odder than that, there's a man in a jester costume standing just sort of looking helpless like what do i do i don't have i don't have a wheel for my car what do i do and uh since i'm gonna get this feeling this innate feeling like here's another one of these oh 
just when I think things can't get any worse. Something, something, just, there's nothing about this, this, like, jester in particular mm -hmm. that, like, he recognizes or uh, has seen before, but he gets this feeling, this innate feeling, the same feeling he got when he heard about uh, Aventus Arantino, the young boy, starting the, the dark ritual. Just this, like, oh, I was supposed to be right here in this spot right now. And he goes and he talks to this jester who is very, like, goofy. He's a goofy uh, guy. He's says, I have lost my the, my cart, on my, on my wheel on my cart, and I don't have the tools to put it back on. But hey, there's this guy up there on that hill. He's got the tools, but he won't help me out. Can you go talk to him? It's very mundane. Mm -hmm. um, he says that he's, the, the jester says he's transporting his dead mother. That's who's in the cart to be put into the, uh, the, the Hall of the Dead in the city of Whiterun, which is the city on the hill that yeah. he just come from. Should have said that. <laughs> and... Uh, by Moon just sort of stares at him, looks him up and down, asks, you know, where, where this man up on the hill is and way up, not, not too far. We're going only like a few hundred yards up a hill, um, has this little homestead. So by Moon just runs up there and has this, sees this, this man farming. He's like, yes, what, can I help you? That's <laughs> exactly what he sounds yeah. like. And by Moon is like, well, there's, there is a man down there who says he needs help. Don't you, he said you may have the tools to help him in. I could assist if, if there's any trouble to bring them down. I thought I told you. I thought I told that. It's different that voice damn. <laughs> what? It's a slightly different voice. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> says, um, you know, I told him I'm not going to help him. I want nothing to do with him. He's weird. He's creepy. He's weird. He's a freak. <laughs> He's a freak. <laughs> so sings by Moon. Through this, the art of conversation he's learned over the years, trying to blend in, sort of is able to pull at the heartstrings, saying like, Telling him, like, look, that's his, that's his dead mother. He's sort of method acting at this point, yeah. remembering his own, his own mother, getting this welling up a little bit. Is able to, to guilt trip this, this man into helping the, the jester. So they go down the hill. How I sort of like helps him get this wheel back on. Uses these sort of like weird metal tools, and the jester thanks things by moon and and gives him, a couple hundred gold actually. Sort of like out of nowhere, just pulls out this bag of coins, throws it his way. And as he's walking away, um, or riding away, rather, turns around and gives Sings Moon another look. Uh, and just kind of winks, and then just like tilts his, his weird little jester cap, and continues on his way. And Sings Moon reads this, oh, this is my day. So he goes about the rest of his day, uh, collecting his, his uh, alchemy doodads. Nightfall comes, heads into White Run again, goes to the tavern, rents himself a room. Lays in, in his bed, reads some of his, his books that he's collected uh, over the over his adventures. Around 2, 3 o'clock rolls uh, comes, goes downstairs, walks out the front door, walks over that alchemy shop, <laughs> takes two looks around, no one sees him. <laughs> no one sees him, no one, his little reticle is flat, walks through the door, uh, and then helps himself to all the different all the different things on the shelves, and goes behind... Uh, Finds like a, a nice lock box with a couple of jewels in it and like another 20, 20, 30 gold. He's starting to look like he's on the up and up. Heads over into the sleeping quarters. Sees this this woman, this elven woman, uh, just in her robe. The one he had spoken with before. And immediately that voice back in his head, like, perhaps you should kill more. And what? does away with her. Uh, leaves her body just lying in the bed. Goes back into his room. Sleeps soundly. Hoping and hoping 
that perhaps this on the third night will be the night where everything finally comes together. Okay, so that was episode two of what we're calling the Ebon Heart arc. Um, Dylan, I'm very excited to find out uh, for have you reveal uh, the the future of Six by Moon. And likewise, there's interesting stuff going on there. <laughs> um, okay, guys, yeah, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Pretenders Guild. Um, do we have anything else to plug? Uh, no, we both do a podcast called Chomp Chain. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Chomp. Mm-hmm. You can find me at Dexter M. Pepper. You can find me at Local Bones. Um, we will work on the audio. We're going to get that sorted out. And, um, yeah, look forward to the next episode. Okay, bye. <laughs>